Walking through desert. 
Father, we want to thank you for what you have done for us in Christ. We are undeserving and yet so grateful. We pray today that as we continue to worship you, that our hearts will be open to you to let you flood us with your love and grace and mercy and truth. And we pray this through Christ Jesus. Amen. Share a word of greeting with others here in worship this morning. So there's a couple things I just want to uh, remind you of, and hopefully everyone is staying warm on uh, these cold days and nights. Uh, I think it's going to get better. Uh, having this last week in the 50s and then dropping to what was minus, people are telling me this morning. I don't even want to think about how minus it was, but, uh, but uh, pray that uh, you are able to, to be warm. Uh, there's an insert in your bulletin about Sunday school classes as well as small groups. Uh, most of our groups are starting this week, either today or at some point during the week. There's some new groups also starting. Uh, if you're not a part of a group, we'd encourage you to, uh, to really think seriously about getting involved in a group. You can contact uh, the leaders. There are phone numbers there. And if you have any other questions, you can contact uh, Pastor Paul at the church, and uh, he'll be able to answer those for you as well. Also, Kids Club starts back up on uh, Wednesday night. And uh, also, we have just uh, published a new historical booklet of our church. We did one for our sesquicentennial in uh, 2002, and so we've done an updated version of it. They're on the back, on a uh, stand on the back corner there of the church foyer. Uh, feel free to help yourself to them. If you want to give a donation to help with the publication costs, that'd be great. There's a basket there. Put that in. But just feel free to take those, and hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you to see how God has worked in the life of our church through the years and uh, give us faith about how God can work in the years ahead. At this time, we're going to ask the ushers to come and uh, assist us in giving of our tithes and offerings.
We spent some time praying together. If you would like to come and use the altar rail as a place where you offer your prayers, please come and join me.
Father, this, what we've sung is our prayer. That your will would be done, your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. That our attitudes would be yours. Our thoughts would be yours. Our words would be yours. Our actions would be yours. That the desires that we have would be yours. The priorities of our lives would be yours. And we ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would give us grace to live this prayer. We thank you for all the ways in which you have blessed us. And we know that you are good and merciful and gracious and kind and loving beyond measure. And we know that your will and your kingdom is always good. So give us hearts, give us lives that desire what you want on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we pray this for the burdens and the needs that we bring with us today. We pray, Father, that, that you, would, you would bring your purposes and your healing grace to bear on all who are grieving today, on all who are struggling with health concerns. We ask, Father, that for all of the folks who are wrestling with life and the struggles and the anxieties and the uncertainty and the burdens, Lord, may we know you at work in ways that we could hardly imagine. We thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our church. And we thank you for the the ministries of our church. And as we begin this week, uh, small groups, we pray, Father, that you you will help us to serve one another and care for one another and love one another and teach one another. Lord, give us the ability to share with each other and to grow with each other. As, as we engage ourselves in, our, in a group. Father, may these be powerful times for you to speak into our lives and for us to serve and minister to each other. We pray, Father, for churches around us. We pray today for the Belleville Wesleyan Church and Pastor Rob Grimes. May your grace be upon this gathering of believers that they would know your peace and your strength and that as they worship today and as they live their lives each day, May they do so in the power and grace of your spirit. And Father, we pray for uh, the world beyond us. We think of the needs of of our nation, people recovering from tragedies and disasters. We think of the healing that we need in our nation where there's so much disunity and fighting. We pray, Father, for the world beyond us and refugees and places of war and and violence and, and so much strife and pain and heartache and ask that you would bring your peace and your grace in each circumstance. Father, it's difficult for us to truly express our gratitude for all of your blessings. They are truthfully beyond counting. But it is because of what you have done and because of all that you have promised, because of who you are, that we come in confidence as we pray. And as we remember the prayer that you taught your disciples to pray, which we now pray together, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This morning's scripture is from the book of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. I invite all of you who are able to stand for the reading of the gospel. And following the reading, children in children's church may be dismissed. Jesus feeds the 5,000. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. And it's already very late. Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat? How many loaves do you have? He asked, go and see. When they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of the men who had eaten was 5,000. This is the word of the Lord. Of my heart, be pleasing. 
Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts will truly be pleasing to you as you speak to us. We pray this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. This is one of those stories that I suspect is somewhat familiar to most of us. If you grew up going to Sunday school or you grew up had any connection to the church, and even if you didn't, you probably have had some idea of a story of Jesus feeding a bunch of people with just a little bit of stuff. I've always wondered how Jesus did that. You know, I, I hope this is on a DVR someplace because I'd really like to watch this happen. You know, I, I mean, was it sort of like the magician pulling the thing, you know, the scarves out of his sleeve or behind his back and stuff? Just, I mean, I, I just have it in my mind. How in the world did he take those little bits of bread and fish and multiply them? What did that look like? How did that happen? I don't know. Because quite frankly, it's not important really to the story. What I find fascinating about this story, of all of the the questions that I have about it, and people have lots of questions about stories like this, what's interesting is that actually this story turns not on questions that we have, but on a question that Jesus asks. In the middle of this whole scene, in the middle of all of this happening, if the disciples come to Jesus and say, look, it's getting late, people are hungry, What are we going to do? And Jesus says, you feed them. And I'd love to see the look on their faces when he says that. And they say, with what? How? And Jesus asks them a question. And the translations are different. They all vary. But the, the the, the word is, what he says is, how much bread do you have? When I first read that, it made me think of growing up in the 60s, you know, when people talk about bread. You know, hey man, you got some bread? They don't mean bread, they mean money, right? There is something about bread and money. But, but how much bread do you have, Jesus asked them. They have no idea, and he says, go find out. But that question is more than just take an inventory of how much stuff you have. This is a question that is really about what do you have and will you give it to me? And that's really the question that the gospel keeps asking us over and over and over again. It's at the heart of our faith, heart of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower of Jesus. He's continually asking us, what do you have and will you give it to me? It's the challenge that that all of us live with as followers of Jesus, that what we have is really not our own. It's his. And what he's asking of us is, look at what you have. Will you let me have it? And to do that is an acknowledgement that what we have is God's to begin with. What we have, we're just giving it back to him. And that question keeps confronting us continually. And it's not just about our possessions. It's not just about money. It's not just about our resources. It's about every single thing of our lives. It's about our time and our energy and our gifts and our emotions 
and our relationships. It's about things like forgiveness. It's about every element of life. Everything that God has given us, he is continually asking us the question, think about what you have, look at what you have, will you give it to me? And it is a call to be generous disciples. Now, in some ways, you don't need both of those words, because quite frankly, when you read the scriptures, to be a disciple is to be generous. I think as I read this story, this whole thing is rooted in, in, our, in an attitude and a mindset about people. It is certainly our relationship with God, and we'll come to that in a couple of minutes, but it's also identified in how we see other people and whether we have the heart of Jesus about other people. Because I'm convinced that generosity... The kind of generosity that Jesus is talking about, wholehearted, give me everything you've got kind of generosity, is rooted in a heart of compassion. Earlier in this story, in the beginning part of the story that we read, it says that Jesus calls his disciples together. Now, this earlier in chapter 6, Jesus sends them out. And they go out into towns and villages and they preach and they heal and they cast out demons. And they come back and there's, they're starting to tell Jesus all the exciting stories of things that happen. And, and they're exhausted. You know, success exhausts us just as much as failure does. And, and they're exhausted from all of the energy they put out. And so Jesus says, let's come away and rest. But the crowds are always chasing after Jesus. And so they try to get away, but they find him. And pretty soon this large crowd is gathering. And and the scripture says that Jesus looked at them and he had compassion on them. And he began to teach them. What's interesting is that later in the story, the disciples come to Jesus and they say to him, Look, it's getting late. These people are hungry. Let's send them away. And you see the difference in their hearts. Now, there's a place for boundaries in our lives. You see it in Jesus. He's he's regularly pulling away from the crowds to to restore his soul, to pray, to to regain his energy. But there is in Jesus this, this willingness to be compassionate, this desire to be compassionate because he sees people as they are. He sees them not as a nuisance, but as people who are needy and hurting, people who are looking for him, people who are yearning for him. And I think at the heart of our struggle with generosity is that we don't have the heart of Jesus. Compassion can be difficult. If you have a compassionate heart toward people, you see all the pain and the heartache and the agony and and the brokenness. And quite frankly, it it can become overwhelming. I think one of the things the disciples are wrestling with here is that how do you deal with this many people? I mean, Mark is telling us, as the other gospel writers do, that there are 5,000 men, which probably means 5,000 families. 10, 12, 15,000 people. How do you deal with that kind of need? And if you're like me, there is a point where you say, I can't see any more of the needs of this world. It's just too big. It's too much. It just never stops. 
There, there's another attack. There's another drought. There's another fire. There's another flood. There's another famine. There, there's, an, there's another this and another that. And more and more people hurting. More and more refugees. More and more people in need. And it's so overwhelming. We don't even know how to respond to it. But we, And our typical response is to say, I'm just going to shut it off. I'm just going to back away and I'm not going to look at it anymore. And we're going to talk about this a little bit more next week. But Jesus isn't saying you have to solve every problem. He's just saying there's a need right in front of you. There's a need that I've laid on your heart. And instead of trying to get rid of the people, what you need to do is to ask me, how can I, how can, Lord, how can you use what I have to help be a person who helps meet that need? In the midst of all of that burden, all the struggle, all the pain, and the feeling overwhelmed, I think the most important thing we can do is to pray. To pray for God to help people in need, but to pray for God to give us wisdom and insight and compassion and grace toward people in need. And the more we pray about that, the more our hearts begin to look like Jesus. And the more wisdom we have, and the more understanding we have, and the more compassion we have. And out of that heart of compassion comes generosity. Now, it doesn't mean that we only pray. James says, it's wonderful that you say to people, I'm praying for you. And then we send them away and says, I hope you find some place to be warm and some food to eat. But what he says is, what kind of faith is that? What are you doing about it? It is prayer that leads us to action. It's always prayer saying, Lord, how do you want to use me? What do you want of mine? It's all yours. It's, it's, I'm, I, I want to be generous. I want to be completely open with it. It's all yours. How do you want to take and use what, what I have to help people who are in need? And it is a means of trusting God that he will lead us and guide us. But it starts with a desire, a yearning to have the heart of Jesus. Of compassion toward people. And instead of our response being, let's see if we can get rid of the people who are making me feel bad. We say, I engage with people who are struggling and wrestling. I think this idea of, of generosity, I think it's hard for us because we have a tendency to live our lives in, 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 our, in our, what we do with what we have in, in very mechanical ways. You know, we are people who love formulas. Human beings love formulas. And formulas can be good. I mean, I, I tend to like formulas. But the gospel is continually calling us to break the barriers of formulas. Formulas can be helpful to begin. Formulas can be helpful for a foundation. But the gospel is always calling us to generosity, not formulas. I was reading this week a, a, a woman who was talking about when she was a child. And she said that you know, her parents taught her that, that for every dollar she earned, 50 cents went into a savings something to save in her piggy bank, and 40 cents she could spend, and 10 cents she gave to God. And she said, I realized that as I got older, I, I was just sort of giving mechanically. 
And when I read that, I realized well, that's how I was raised. I suspect many of you might have been raised that way. And, and it's a good foundation. The only problem with that is that I, I fear that it teaches, we're teaching our children to sort of live with a mindset of how little can I give to God and still do everything I want with what's left. As opposed to a mindset that says, how much can I give to God and trust him about my needs? Because what ends up happening, while it's great, I mean, we want to teach our kids to give to God and the tithe, that 10% is excellent. And, and of course, for, for some Christians, that's beyond what, what they're doing with what they have now. But I think the call of the gospel, and Paul talks about this in the New Testament, where he says, it's, you know, and Jesus says, the tithe is great, but what I really want is your life. And Paul says, generosity is what God wants. And instead of a mindset that says, well, I gave the minimal amount, and that's all God requires of me, Jesus keeps telling us that to be a disciple is to always be thinking beyond the minimum. And to be thinking, how much can I give away? How much, how generous can I be? And still find my needs met. And maybe we're doing a disservice to our children to teach them a formula that says how we're going to give as little as possible to God. One of my, my uh, friends, Jason Schombach, who's a pastor in Canisteraga at the Western Church, he and I, over the past couple of years, have been working on our sermons together. This fall, he, he preached through the Minor Prophets, as we did. And, and during Advent, we both preached these, these sermons on some of the Christmas carols. And, you know, we end up preaching our own sermon, but we get together and we work on them. And it's been very inspiring and insightful as we bring our different viewpoints to things. But he was telling me this week, he said that he had a thought that one of the things that, that really, you know, that he wrestles with as a parent is watching his children waste food. And, of course, we can all relate to that because as children, we probably waste food and our children waste food. I mean, it, it's part of what the culture in which we probably were raised, most of us. And he said it bugs him and, and he, he gets irritated about it. And, he, you know, he tries to tell them, look, you need to eat your peas. And, you know, they don't want to. And, you know, they leave them there. And, and he said I was, he was praying about this one day and he realized that, that what he... What he he wanted God to give him a different perspective. And God all of a sudden opened his eyes and he said, the reason your children think that way is because they have no fear about the fact that you're always going to have food for them. They don't have to have a mindset of hoarding and scarcity because you have shown them clearly that they don't need to worry about the food being on the table. They don't have to worry about where their next meal is going to come from. They're, they're, there's always going to be enough and more. He said, well, I don't want my children to be wasteful, and we're continuing to teach them that. He said, all of a sudden, my mind was opened up to, I think that's how God wants us to live. That we live, with whatever God has given us, we are reckless about it. We might even be considered by some people wasteful about it. I mean, isn't that what the disciples said to Jesus when Mary came and poured a year's worth of perfume on Jesus' feet? And they were upset and they said, what a waste. And Jesus said, no, it's not. 
Now, God's not calling us to be wasteful in the way that we sometimes think of it. But he is certainly calling us to be so generous that it looks to some people like we're being reckless. I know someone who back in the 70s went to a missions convention and really was burdened by the stories of the missionaries. He's a college student. And, and, and he was really burdened about, about the, the mission. It really, God really got a hold of his heart. And, and he sensed God saying, when it came time for people to, to make faith promise pledges like we, we do here, he really sensed God saying to him, I want you to trust me for $50 a month to support these missionaries. This is a college student, barely scraping by, had no idea where $50 a month would come from, but he felt like that's what God was leading him to do, and so he turned in his pledge card. What's interesting is that when his parents, who were greatly supportive of missionaries, heard about it, they tried to discourage him from doing it. He said, you've just gotten caught up in the emotion and things, you know, you don't, you don't need to do that. And then the Lord burdened them and said, what are you doing? Why would you discourage him from being generous? And they apologized and said, if that's what God is calling you to do, do it. And I know from talking to this person that God supplied that $50 every single month and has continued, as far as I know, to continue to do that on and on and on. It looked reckless. It, it looked like it was a bad decision, but God blessed. And here's the thing about God's blessing. It's not that, that we are going to give God money and so he's going to give us a whole bunch more back, as sometimes we hear. You know, there are people who will tell us, if you give God $10, he'll give you back 100 You give God $100, he'll give you 1000 You give God 1000 he'll give you 10000 and And as if material possessions is God's greatest blessing. That's really what we're saying. If we believe that that's really the ultimate blessing of God and that's why we're generous, then what we're saying is material possessions is God's greatest blessing. And we know it's not. What we get back are things like joy and peace and freedom. Because when we are generous, we are set free from the bondage of what we have. We no longer spend our lives trying to hoard it and protect it and, 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 and use it selfishly. We have the freedom to let it go. And we trust God that if we give it, he's going to supply our needs. Isn't it fascinating, though, that when you get to the end of this story, the disciples are out there picking up food. I don't, I, if it were me, I'd probably be grumbling about the fact that I had to clean up after 5,000 families. It'll take a little time to clean up after that many people. But they are gleaning. I don't know how big the baskets were, but I suspect they were good-sized baskets. And when they get done, they have 12 baskets full, one for each of the disciples. And they pick up more than they had to begin with. And when we are generous with what God has given us, He blesses us in ways that we never could have imagined when we started. We're set free. I think our struggle is that we have a mindset of scarcity about God. 
We have a mindset that wonders, that struggles to believe that God is really as generous as he says he is. That if we give what we have to God, he will supply our needs. He will be gracious to us. And I don't even just mean about money. In fact, it's so much bigger than our possessions. This is about our, our lives. This is about our attitudes. This is about our, our, our emotions. This is about our relationships. I think one of the things we struggle with most, even as much as money, is grace. We struggle to extend grace to people who we think, I'm not sure they deserve it. I'm not sure it's a wise investment of our grace to keep giving them grace, even though that's what God does with us every single moment. It's what it means to be a disciple. To be generous. To keep giving and giving and giving and believing that every time, everything we give to God, He will use in ways that we couldn't have imagined. And and I think one of the reasons we struggle with having joy in our lives is because we aren't really people of faith. People who who have so much faith in God that we're willing to say, whatever we have, it's yours, Lord. And I know that's my struggle often. I suspect it's yours. And I think one of the reasons we struggle with faith is because we struggle to give God the opportunity to prove himself faithful. And I think we struggle to give God the opportunity to prove himself faithful because we're not really sure That he is who he says he is. That he does what he promises to do. That he is the God he has declared himself to be. There are a number of scholars who who believe that Mark is connecting this story with the 23rd Psalm. It is interesting that earlier, before he actually breaks the bread and feeds the people... When he sees this crowd of people gathering, even though he's trying to get away, he says he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And they become people of need. And the 23rd Psalm begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And when Jesus is ready to feed them, he says to the disciples, tell them to sit down, not just in the grass, but in the green grass. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green grass. Pastors, lush pastors. When you get to the end of that psalm, like the abundance of the, of the baskets, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is who God is. Jesus isn't presenting a new picture of God. He's simply revealing more and more of the God who has always been and always will be more generous with us than any of us could ever imagine being. We will never get to the end of God's grace. We will never get to the end of God's forgiveness. We will never get to the end of God's generosity. Because it's who he is. He is the ultimate giver. 
And we see that no more clearly than when we come to this table. This ultimate sign of of who God is and what God is willing to do and to give for you and me. Undeserving people who've been given grace. He's simply asking of us that we would trust him enough to give back to him. So as we come to this table this morning, maybe God is laying on your heart what you, something about what you give and what you do with your money. What you do with your possessions. What you do with your time. What you do with your energy. What you do with your resources. Your gifts. Maybe he's laying on your heart what you do with your forgiveness. What you do with your grace toward undeserving people. Whatever it is, as we come to this table, we know, we know that God, who is infinitely generous, is worthy to be trusted with all that we have. Heavenly Father, we thank you For your outlandish, reckless, unending, gracious generosity to us. Forgive us for the many times in which we respond selfishly and fill our hearts with with your compassion and your heart. Help us to see you and see others as you do. And give us grace today to take one step, one step of of generosity as we remember Christ and your gracious generosity and mercy to us. Thank you. We pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread, gave thanks to the Father in heaven, and broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take, eat. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On the same night he took the cup, Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples, saying, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. This morning, we are receiving communion by the mode of intinction. Come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it, and then you may return to your seat by the outside aisles. Altar is always open if you want to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, or if you simply prefer, we have trays of bread and cups. Happy to serve you in your seat. Just let the usher know as your row is released. And I also I have gluten-free wafers and cups here. If you would like those, just let me know as you come forward. We practice open communion at the Wesleyan Church. Maybe it's the first time you've ever worshipped here, but 
If you come today with your heart open to Christ, heart of thanksgiving for his blessings and a desire to give to him all that you have, come receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, heavenly Father.
grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore.